Um, we are going to be preaching from Matthew chapter 24 again today. If you don't have a Bible, put your hand up and we can get you one. And if you don't have one at home, you can take one with you because that's a gift from us to you. Because the best thing we could ever give you is a Bible. Because once you got, once you want one, you want one, yeah, yeah. You got a Bible, you get a Bible. I'm being Oprah today. If you got the Bible, then you have access to the truth. You've got access to the truth. You have access to Christ. You have access to Christ. You have access to eternal life. So the Bible is the best gift you could ever give anyone. The best book you could ever read is the Bible. So we use the ESV translation if you're following along at home or on your app or whatever. Um, and we'll be in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 today. And if you'd like a title, if you're taking notes, it's going to be pretty obvious, but the title is Be Ready. Be Ready. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. And by the way, I'm Riley. If I haven't met you yet, sorry, I probably should introduce myself before. The pastor of the church, it's a joy to have you here. Let's read God's word. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household, to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Would you join me in prayer? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next week, I won't be here because I'll be at a wedding of one of my best mates, Paul Terry. And uh, that'll, be, that'll be a joyful account. So Richard will be preaching and then Joel the week after. But a week ago on Sunday was, or two weeks ago on Sunday, was actually the 12th anniversary of when I first proposed to Maddie for, you know, pre preparing for our marriage. And it got me thinking this week about our marriage. We, we've been married 11 and a half years but it got me thinking about the, the night before we got married. I don't know if you've been married, if you remember that night. Um, for me, we, we had a bunch of my mates over, including Paul, my mate who's getting married next week, um, and a whole bunch of others. And we hung out at my place. We 
ate food, we hung out, we played FIFA, which is really important. Um, and in fact, we started a tradition which has lasted through all my friendship group that before each guy gets married, we have to all be on the same team with four controllers playing FIFA, winning the World Cup. Uh, and the guy can't get married until that happens. Uh, and so two weeks ago, it was Paul's Bucks party. We did the same thing. I was there till 2 a.m., finishing the World Cup, serving his wife, making sure he can get married. At some point of the night, though, for my own night before my marriage, I was too tired, too wrung out, and I, I went to bed. I could hear the guys next to me feverishly playing World Cup, trying to win the World Cup for me so I could get married the next day. They did stay up and do it, so I was permitted to get married. But as I lay in bed, I was, I was actually super anxious. I had all the butterflies that you might expect. And I couldn't fall asleep. I was tossing and turning, and I was so sure I wanted to marry Maddie. Um, but I was also just totally afraid and scared and thinking, what are we doing? I, mean, I was 20, and Maddie was 19. We were so young. We're still so young um, and foolish <laughs> and crazy. And I got up, and I went next door and, and asked one of the guys, hey, can we just go for a walk? And so we're walking around the back streets of Gaimi Bay where I grew up and suburban, it's 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. And he just asked me the basic question is like, are you ready? And, you know, that, how do you know if you're ready in that moment? I mean, he wasn't asking like, have you got a suit for tomorrow? That's not the readiness question. Or have you written your speech? Well, I didn't have a suit because I wore like chinos and a shirt like this. So we didn't, that part wasn't there. Uh, is your speech ready? He wasn't asking, are you ready about your speech? Because no, it wasn't ready. And I wish I had done a better speech on my wedding day. So if you're not yet married, plan that in advance uh, and do a good speech, Sam. I'm looking at you. Um, that wasn't a payout. That, I just meant, like, that was an encouragement. Anyway, um, he wasn't asking, it was my speech ready. He wasn't asking, are you ready? Like, do you know where you're getting married, the address? The question of are you ready is talking about are you ready for all that marriage entails? The glorious but difficult reality of marriage. And I think that's what I was wrestling with? Was I ready for a lifelong covenant in sickness and in health? Was I ready to love my wife richer or poorer from this day forth until one of us would die or the Lord returns? Was I ready to bear spiritual responsibility for a home and a family? Was I ready to lay down my life sacrificially like Christ did for the church? That's the readiness question really but as you well know you can you can say I'm ready and I did say I'm ready and I did say I do or I will but it's not until you're in the thick of marriage and relationship and the ups and downs and the years settle in until there's proof or the fruit is there as to whether or not you were ready and still are ready for that commitment and so it is with following Christ. It's not as simple as making a commitment to Christ, saying, I believe in Jesus, and that makes you ready for his return. What Jesus is going to show us in this passage is that true readiness for his return is proven in our day-to-day -day commitment to him, in the long years of following him every day until we die. And if you're here trusting in some kind of shallow commitment or hoping for an easy salvation in Christ, Christ, Jesus will not give you that and you'll be disappointed. 
Christianity is not like a get-rich-quick scheme where you can just do a few things and boom, jackpot, you're in. It doesn't work like that. And that's what Jesus is very clear in this passage. And as your pastor, it's my solemn burden and responsibility and task to make you ready or to ensure with everything I can that you are ready for that day. Whether that Christ would return and you're ready for that or that one day you might die and meet him face to face. That's, that's, the, that's what keeps me up. That's what burdens my soul all week as I study this passage. That, that's what sits on me heavily is, am I ready? Are you ready? This is what Paul struggled with in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. This was his life statement for his ministry. Him we proclaim, that is Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. (laughs) If I had one job, it's to proclaim Christ to you, that you would be ready on that day. That's all. That's That's what I'm here to do. And that's what I'm hoping that through this message, and in fact, the next couple of weeks' messages all have the same theme, that we would be ready. So, to tackle this passage, we've got two simple points. Be ready, and will you be ready? Let's jump into point number one, be ready. And I just want to back up a little bit and just give us a bit of context from where we were last week. Um, If you go back to verse 3 of chapter 24, you'll see that the disciples have asked Jesus a question. This is the last week of his life. He's just predicted that the temple's going to be destroyed, uh, that everything's going to be shaken up. He's pronounced a woe on all the religious leaders. It's a very tumultuous time. And then the disciples come to him outside of Jerusalem as they look upon this beauty of Jerusalem. And they say this, Tell us then, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And we saw last week that there's two questions there. The first question is, when will these things be? And that's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jesus' simple answer is, is that it will be within this generation. Um, it's coming. It's going to happen now. So be alert, but not alarmed. He's preparing his disciples for that. And lo and behold, 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Uh, the disciples were prepared for it. Most of the Christians actually did flee Jerusalem and they obeyed Jesus' words. And, and so we saw last week that that was a specific application for them uh, and that for us, we can learn various other lessons. You'll have to listen to last week's message to get there. Now we come to the second question. So last week wasn't about the return of Christ. It wasn't when's he going to return. It was about the fall of Jerusalem. This week, though, is about the return of Christ. And the rest of chapter 25 is about that as well. Notice that they ask that question, what will be the sign of your, second, of your coming and of the end of the age? So what they're actually asking is, when will be that great day? Um, if you know your Old Testament, you know that there's this expectation that there's a day of the Lord. A day when all the wrong will be made right. When all the wicked, we even sung about it earlier, when all the wicked will be judged and and punished for their sins and that the righteous will be held steadfast. And, you know, we, we, we look at in Genesis, you have the Garden of Eden and then the curse comes. When will the day when the curse is removed and we're restored to paradise again? That's what they're asking. When is that day? And they likely thought that 
those two things went together. The fall of Jerusalem and the day of the Lord, that was probably in their minds as the same thing. But in fact, Jesus is going to teach us that likely they're not. And in fact, human history has told us that there's definitely not. There's two, at least 2,000 years in between. Now, we don't really think about this all too often, probably. Unless you're suffering and you're constantly, or you're very disciplined and you're constantly thinking about heaven or constantly thinking, oh, when will Christ return? It's probably not something that's on your mind day to day. Like, oh, maybe today, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe Christ is coming back today. But it's a, a topic of utmost importance for us. Um, because if we lose sight of that, we're actually losing sight of an incredibly important reality. Certainly, if you're not yet a believer in Christ, you're probably not thinking that Christ is going to return because that would be very bad news. If Jesus was real and he did return and was going to judge the world, but yet Jesus teaches us all about it today so that we are prepared. It's not a matter of if, but when. And so that's why the disciples are asking, what will be the sign that it's coming so that we can be ready? Because wouldn't it be great if like, you know, we knew this time next week, during that church service, Christ has come back. So let's get your life in order. Sort out your, you know, your sin, your finances, everything. Don't worry about your mortgage. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just you can relax. We know when it is, but we're not given that answer. Let's have a look at verse 36, where Jesus categorically rebukes that answer. Verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. The time of the second coming of Christ, the end of the world and judgment day is unknown. The angels don't know. Jesus in his limited human form does not know. No one knows. And anyone who thinks they do or makes a prediction is making it up. The whole point of this section is to say it's going to be unexpected and unpredictable. You won't know is the point of this whole section, is that you can't know. So be ready at all times. Now, you might be wondering, what does this mean? Like, how can Jesus not know when he's coming back? He's God, right? Shouldn't he know all things? Isn't he omniscient, that omniscience, omni-knowledge? He knows all things. You might think, oh, maybe he, he wasn't fully God then if he didn't know. And that's where all heresies, most heresies come from in the Christian tradition is they get something about Jesus' humanity wrong or something about Jesus' divinity wrong. Most of the major heresies we have today get his divinity wrong. They think Jesus was a man, even a God-man, but not 100% God, 100% man. But this isn't proof here that Jesus isn't fully God. It's a recognition that in his, limit, in his human form, he limited his ability. And it shouldn't actually surprise us because the whole way through Matthew's gospel, we've seen Jesus' finite human ability. Daniel Doriani in his commentary makes it really simple and clear. Remember that Jesus chose to limit his divine powers when he became man. God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Or Jesus possessed these powers but chose not to exercise them at most points in his ministry. Take, for instance, Jesus is omnipresent as a divine being, yet he traveled from place to place by foot, typically, or by boat, or by donkey, as we saw in Matthew 21. When Jesus wanted to go to Jerusalem, he walked. 
He didn't stand in Capernaum and tell the disciples, since I'm omnipresent, I'm already in Jerusalem. So I'll stay here and see you there when you arrive. (laughs) When he walked, he laid aside his omnipresence. Jesus is omnipotent, yet unless he ate food, he became hungry. Jesus is omniscient, that means all-knowing, yet he laid aside his knowledge too. Jesus asked genuine questions throughout the Gospels. If Jesus had constantly exercised his divine attributes, he would not have led a genuine human life. If he endured no human limitations, his incarnation was a charade. If the crucifixion caused Jesus no pain, how could he suffer for us? If no bodily desires touched him, how can we say he was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin? So truly, Jesus did not know when he would return. At that time, he did not need to know, nor do we. So that gives you an idea of how Jesus can still be 100% God, but as he adds humanity to his divinity, he chooses to limit his abilities in his human life without losing his divinity at the same time. Does Jesus know when he's returning now? Don't know. Uh, The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe. So that kind of deals with that. So we we can't know. And Jesus now goes on to illustrate this simple reality through a bunch of different points um, from 37 through to 44, 45. Look at verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The simple point is that in that terrible children's story, which should never be a children's story because it's about the death of every living thing on earth drowning to death. It's a horrible story. It's bemusing and ridiculous that there's kids' books about it and it's all cute. Like, all the animals went onto the ark and everyone else died. You know, it's, it's a terrible story, but that's the point. Jesus brings it up not because it's cute, but because it's so dangerous. It's so scary. Everyone thought Noah was wrong, and then it started raining and didn't stop. And there was no hope. It was too late. They were marrying and drinking and partying and living their lives just like we are today. And then unexpectedly, judgment came. So will be the coming of the Son of Man and the Day of Judgment. He gives another example, verse 40. Then two men will be in the field, one taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Again, the same point. We'll be living our ordinary life, unexpecting, unpredicting, and then boom, the end will come. You see, he's not talking about the fall of Jerusalem here because he'd been very specific about the timing and about the signs and about the disruption and about all the persecution coming and then the fall would come. Now, this is post-fall of Jerusalem time and he's saying just in your everyday life, you won't know. So whenever we have this sense that like, oh, things are getting worse in the world right now, Christ must be about to return. Every single generation has thought that. (laughs) Every generation thinks it's going to be the return of Christ this time. Like, look at how bad things are in the world. But Jesus is saying, you'll just be in the field, not in a bunker, you know, not with your ration supply pack going, I knew it, I know it's coming. It won't be like that. 
You'll be out there making spreadsheets and Jesus will return. Verse 42 to 44. So what should we do with this? Well, therefore, Jesus says, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's a very simple point. Disciples must always be ready for their master's return. No days off. It's going to come. You don't know when a thief is going to rob you. You know, my car out the front of my place about two years ago, I, hard, I sometimes lock it, sometimes I don't. If I had known that someone was going to come past and steal my sonny's out of it that night, I would have locked the car, right? <laughs> I didn't. My sonny's got stolen. I wasn't prepared. It wasn't expected. Jesus is saying his coming would be just like that. And then he tells one more story. So he's trying to really drive the point home so that they don't miss it, so we don't miss it. Probably because we're so prone to forget. (laughs) So Jesus, he gives us this parable. The next week he's going to give us two more parables. Then the week after he's going to give us another parable, all with the same basic point. Verse 45 to 51. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus sets the scene in a probably unfamiliar context to us, a master with servants. He's the Lord of his property and house, and he's going away. So he puts one of the slaves in charge of all the other slaves. He's got a simple job, make sure everyone's fed. Probably expand it out, be like me. I'm a good master, take care of my household as I would take care of my household. Two servants, both given the same job, both given the same opportunity, both given the same position, but two vastly different responses. One is faithful and wise in the delay, remembering his position, knowing he's not the master, knowing the master's going to return. And he's faithful to the task, day in, day out. One day the master comes home and he's just been faithfully doing it that whole time. And look at the blessing. I love that. Jesus loves to motivate us with reward. We're not to often think that the Christian life is is this plug it in, just dour, there's no joy. Jesus is like, I want you to persevere by, I'm going to paint this picture. When I come back, you are going to be so ridiculously blessed, you can't even imagine it. So be faithful today. That's how he motivates us. And then the punishment too. The The other slave, he's upset. He's you know, or he's, he starts to get too big for his britches. He starts to think, oh, I'm the master of this household. Who knows when that owner's coming back? This is my house now. This is my land. This is my place. These are my servants. This is my money. This is my food. This is my time. And he takes advantage of his position. 
takes advantage of others, lives his life however he wants, starts to forget probably that the master is going to return one day. And then, like a thief in the night, the master returns. And you see just how severe the punishment is. We often think of Jesus as just so loving and gentle and meek and kind. And then he says things like this. A master will come and cut him in pieces, literally cut him in two. Put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, The punishment for not being ready for Christ's return, the, the result of not being ready, couldn't be more disastrous. Now, if you're cut in two, generally you would die. But Jesus is painting a picture of severe pain and torment, but ongoing. There's no end. In some ways, it'd be better if hell was just, you punished once and then it's annihilation. But the, the, the New Testament gives us this picture that, that hell is ongoing separation from all that is good in the place with other hypocrites. If you hate hypocrites, <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be in hell. In that place, there'll be weeping, the cries of the damned and gnashing of teeth, gritting their teeth in dread and regret. It's a very stark picture between the two. And so Jesus is boldly motivating his disciples and us with one simple idea. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready, friends. You don't know when. You, don't, you won't know the signs. There is no sign of Jesus' return. There's no like, you know, world leader that's going to rise up and we're like, oh, that's the, and now it's happening. No, we don't know. So the point is be ready at all times. Every day, no days off. So that's the simple point Jesus is making. If the day is certain, we be ready. Sorry, if if it's coming, but we don't know when, we ought to be ready. The big question we need to ask ourselves, will I be ready? The question I want to ask you is, will you be ready for that It leads me to point two. Will you be ready? Now, we could say it like this. Are you ready? As in, are you ready this very moment? And that would be a good question to ask, and it is an important question. If you're not ready for Christ's return right now, you ought to get ready. If this is true in any way, if you're doubting whether or not Christ is real, you better figure that out because if it happens and you're not prepared, you've seen the punishment. But the context of this teaching is not only of unexpectedness, but also that of delay. He's saying to the disciples, likely there's going to be a longer gap than you expect before I return. And therefore, you need to not only be ready in a sprint sense, but in a marathon sense as well. You need to be ready today and be ready to be ready tomorrow and be ready to be ready many todays and tomorrows from now. Be ready, be ready, be ready at all times, no days off. Now, we are, we're a young church plant, nearly three years in, and predominantly a young 
church comparative to most. And the reality is, is that if Christ would tarry and take longer, we need to not be just thinking like weeks of readiness, but months, years, decades, and for the next generation, lifetimes of being prepared to be ready. If Christ would not come back in the next 50 years, we need to be the type of people that are prepared to go the long haul for Christ. We're not just sprinting through the Christian life thinking, she'll be right. But preparing ourselves that this could be 50 years of long, hard, slow labor, faithful service to Christ. Day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, never letting So will you be ready today if Christ was to return? And are you preparing yourself and your family and your community and your life group and those who are lost to be ready if he would wait for your whole lifetime? That leads to the next obvious follow-up question is, how do we be ready? How can I be sure? How can I be ready for Christ's return? And that parable at the end there, it shows us an interesting answer. You see, the answer is not intellectual. It's not in your head. Every, both of the servants knew that one day the master was going to return. They were both aware of that. Probably in the back of their head, for even the wicked servant at some point. Just knowing that Christ may return one day doesn't make you ready. You already knew that before coming in today, most likely. It's also not about status or position. Notice that both the servants were given the same position, head of the household. And so if you're relying in your perceived status before God or position before God to get you in, like, oh, I was baptized at this age or I am a member of this church or I must be ready because I'm a leader or I do this or I call myself a Christian or I tick that box or I made a commitment to Christ at that conference or whatever. If you're trusting in your status and it's, it's just there as like a position thing in your, in your heart and soul, you know, you were baptized as a baby or confirmed in the church. No, that, that's not what will make you ready for Christ's return. Both of the slaves were, had the same status. They were heads of the household at that time, chief slave. That didn't make him ready. The way to determine if you're ready for the return of Christ, well, it's determined by how you live. It's ethical. Now, we get uncomfortable with that because we're afraid of talking about works righteousness and that if you do things, God will save you. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But he is saying the way you live now determines where you will be. The way you live determines whether you are ready for Christ's return or not. And so the way to prepare yourself to know, am I ready, is to determine how you're living today, is to review how you're actually living. The master is not yet back. And is your life today being marked by an awareness that he could come at any moment? You see, the delay will reveal your heart. 
The delay will reveal your heart. The faithful servant's heart was revealed by the delay of his master. In that time, he lived a faithful life and he just kept on going. The delay proved that he was a true, faithful and wise servant and he kept on going, he kept on going, he kept on going, he kept on serving and then one day he returns and he's rewarded. And think for that servant, it was ordinary, bog standard, faithful living. You know, the task wasn't glorious, feed the servants, okay? You know, it wasn't beautiful, it wasn't exciting, it wasn't this great millennial adventure to conquer the world, it was do what I've told you to do and you'll be rewarded. And his heart was revealed because he did it. And it's the same for us. Ordinary Christian obedience, as Eugene Peterson says, a long obedience in the same direction is the best way to prepare yourself for the return of Christ. Every day when you choose to serve, love, and obey Christ, you're preparing yourself to be ready for His return. It's nothing dramatic or glorious or, you know, profound. It's ordinary. And that's why it slips by. It's it's ordinary service at work, being faithful, doing your job well, obeying your bosses or being a good boss, clocking in your hours and not cheating, not being immoral, those type of things at work. It's ordinary faithfulness at home and attending to your own home and loving your spouse and your family and your kids. It's ordinary obedience at school if you're a school student and following Christ day in, day out at school and honoring Him in how you study and and how you represent Him in your friendships. It's ordinary obedience at sport when you're playing sport. And I know when I play sport, to my shame, people were surprised I was a Christian when I used to play organized sport. They were like, what, you're a Christian? I'm like, oh, could have been when I was pushing people over. That might have been the moment. Or when I was yelling and abusing the ref and got red carded and suspended for five weeks. Okay? It's the ordinary faithfulness or repenting from unfaithfulness. It's the ordinary faithfulness online. Consistently making the right decisions online. That's what prepares you. Because when you ordinary, when you're ordinarily unfaithful, what happens is bit by bit you grow hardened. Bit by bit you drift. Bit by bit you just lose that awareness. Bit by bit you're away. And bit by bit the delay is revealing that maybe you were never there. Because maybe without the intensity of being on show right there before Christ, You don't actually love him. You don't actually want to live for him. You don't actually serve him. You're serving maybe yourself by attending church or you're serving your image or your conscience. But once you start to be unfaithful week in, week out, day in, you know, month in, month out, and the delay happens, you start to go, I don't I don't need God. Actually, you know what? Maybe he's not even returning. Why should I give my money and my time and my effort? Why should I sacrifice the pleasures I could have in my body by being faithful? No, no, I'm going to start living for me now. I'm going to take back what's mine. That master stole it from me. Now I, he's not coming back. I'm I'm in charge. I'm going to enjoy it and maybe he might come back or maybe not. It's the ordinary unfaithfulness day by day which leads us away from the Lord and perhaps reveals that we were never 
there. Jesus is not saying you can be saved by your good deeds. It will never save you. But your deeds will reveal where your heart is truly at. Being ready for Christ's return, it's not like this red alert, you know, should I sell everything, sell all my things, sell my house, sell my good, bunker down, get ready. That's how I'd be ready. No, it's a long obedience in the same direction. R.T. France says it like this, the readiness of the good slave consists not in sitting by the window watching for his master, but in getting on with the job he's been given. While the fault of the bad slave is in his assumption that the master will not be back soon and therefore he will not be held to account. Jesus is looking for faithful and wise servants. You could put it like this. The fruit of your life reveals the root of your heart. And the root of your heart reveals whether you're ready for Jesus' return. Or you flip it. The root of your heart, where your heart is truly at, will result in the fruit of your life. And the fruit of your life will prove whether or not you're ready for Christ's return, because that's what he'll see when he comes back. It goes either way. You can look at it in either way. If you're looking at consistent bad fruit in your life, you should be increasingly worried. Because it's leading back and saying, something's wrong in your heart. You're that wicked servant. You're wicked. You don't care about the master. You don't love the master. You aren't excited for his return. And so it ought to be a warning, and that's why Jesus says it. You see, anyone could say, I do, on a wedding day, but be hopelessly unprepared for the beautiful challenge of marriage. The sign that you're a follower of Jesus is not merely what you say or have said in the past, but Christ says it's what you do. What you do will not save you, but it's a sign of whether you have been saved. We cannot live however we please and think that there'll be no judgment. And so, to put it all together, Jesus says, be ready at all times by being faithful in all things. How do you be ready for the second coming of Christ? Be faithful in all things. (laughs) Consistently come and live for God in every aspect of your life. I want to speak for a moment to the weary Christians in our church. Will you be ready for Christ's return? If you're tempted to doubt his return and whether your labor and hard work is worth it, feeling weary and you're tempted to give in or give up, if you're considering whether or not you should just focus in on yourself for a time and your own interests rather than serving and obeying God, Jesus is saying, don't give up. Delay is part of the design. Be ready by being faithful and wise with what God has given you now because at one point, He will return or you'll meet Him face to face and then will be the reward. Don't give in. Don't trade it in. Don't start to think you're the master. No, you're a servant of Christ, bored at a price. Your life is not your own. Keep going. 
keep going. And as you keep going, keep that horizon in mind that one day, yes, he will return. And when he returns, I want him to find me faithfully serving in unglorious and boring ways. And I don't want to be caught unprepared and unawares. Keep the reward in front of your mind. Keep laying down your life for your family, for your friends, for your community, your teammates, your school friends, your church friends. Because how you act matters. Your ordinary devotion and faithfulness, it matters to God. Jesus is saying it matters. So keep going. Live and work, love and learn, sow and reap, always with the return of Christ in your sights. As the weariness sets in, say to yourself, maybe today, maybe today he'll come. This could be it. I want to be found faithful today. I don't know if there's tomorrow. I don't know when he's coming, but it could be today. And to, that was to the weary Christian. But now I want to speak to the wicked Christian. Now, I, I use that phrase, the wicked Christian, because remember, both slaves were given the same position. So positionally, they had the same title head slave, right? So you can call yourself a Christian, but one slave was called the wise and faithful one. The other one was called the wicked one. So you can be a wise and faithful Christian, or you can be a wicked Christian. And sadly, there are many in the world and in the church, and perhaps even here, who are mistaken and misled. You think you're a true Christian, but the fruit of your actions reveals the root of your wickedness. Heart of hearts, You don't care about your master, Jesus. You care about yourself. You don't expect him to return and you're not anticipating it. You don't think he's really going to judge you for all the wickedness and sin in your life and you don't fear him. You don't think there'll be a true day of punishment. You may think with that great Aussie slogan, she'll be right. I was chatting with a friend the other, uh, just during the week. And he was saying, oh, I'm an agnostic Christian. Uh, and I, I, I'm logical and rational because I live a pretty good life. And if Christ returns and judges me, cool. Like, I'll be pretty good. I'll be saved. But if there is no Christ and he doesn't return and doesn't judge me, then, well, I've lived my life how I want. I've still enjoyed it. I haven't been too invested and involved. I haven't wasted anything. So I'll, I'll be fine. This whole passage is to warn against that. And I don't want anyone to leave here thinking, she'll be right, mate. You cannot live however you want. You cannot avoid eternal judgment. Both the Christian and the non-Christian will be judged. And unless you live as your master was right here with you, watching your every move, you are in imminent danger. Like those in the days of Noah, The rain started and didn't stop, and there was no second chances. You could be at work this week. You could be very nice and kind and civil. But if you are not truly in Christ, if he's not your true master, then you have no eternal security. And so I implore you, hear the warning of Christ this morning. Don't take my words for it. I'm not trying to just be like a fire and brimstone preacher. This is Jesus Christ saying it. And he's warning his followers and those who would call themselves followers to be ready. 
and ask yourself this, am I actually ready? Can you truly go to sleep tonight knowing that if Christ was to return, you'd be rewarded with joy and not punishment and pain? Are you certain of that fact? And hear my heart, I do not want anyone to experience the judgment and the punishment that Jesus lists here. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, cut in pieces, put with the hypocrites for all eternity with no second chances, no way of getting out, no chance. And so, there is good news as we end. If the fruit of your life reveals the root of your heart and the root of your heart reveals that you are not ready for Christ's return, you are not certain, well, then Jesus is the best news ever because even though he warns of terrible judgment, he promises incredible reward. And all you have to do is come to him and repent of your wickedness and your sin. Fall down before him and say, I am that wicked servant. Please forgive me. Meet him before he meets you. Come to him before he comes to you. And the promise is he will wipe the slate clean. You see, if that wicked servant had realized, oh, I, I, I've blown it. Oh my goodness, I've wasted this opportunity. I've been enslaving my people. I've been a drunkard. I've been, uh, okay, and they go out to meet the master before he comes and says, I have fall. I am, I'm broken. Please forgive me. Christ, the master, would forgive him. But if you're caught unawares, there is no second chance. So you must, whether you're a wicked Christian or the faithful and wise one, we know that that wickedness and that temptation is always there. And so cry out for a changed heart. Cry out. This is your application for everyone, for a faithful and wise heart, a heart that loves your master, a heart that wants Jesus, a heart that desires to live exactly how the master wants us to live. No days off. A heart that's prepared and anticipating being reunited with your master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that the Lord would give you a heart that perseveres and doesn't give up days, weeks, months, years, decades. You can do that today for the first time. You can do it again for the thousandth time. Lord, change my heart and protect me. So, will you be ready? Like on the night before my wedding, my mate asked me, are you ready? Are you ready? He wasn't asking, have I got my suit? Is my speech prepared? Do I know the address? Are you ready to live the rest of your life for this lady? And church, are you ready to go from here until the day that you die or Christ returns, faithfully following him in the slow and boring, unglamorous obedience of being a Christian? Oh, may I plead with you, do not walk away from him. Do not let your heart be deceived. Do not give in to these small temptations day in, day out, because it may reveal that your heart was never there. It would be easy if we knew when. It would be easy if there was a sign. But Christ designed it in such a way that the way of a Christian is to be in a life of constant 
readiness. And so, have that motto in your heart. Maybe today my master will return and live in accordance with that sure reality. Let's pray. God, I pray and ask that you would change any of our hearts that are wandering, any of our hearts that have deceived ourselves, any, any temptation that we're giving into consistently. Lord, change our hearts that we would be found faithful and wise servants. Lord, we're sorry that we are constantly misusing our position and our privilege and our power. And we ask, Lord, that you would reclaim it and change it. Help us to have a sense of your unexpected return, that it could happen. And would it give us a sense of anticipation and excitement rather than dread? May we be a church longing and and pleading and hoping for that day when you'll be revealed, O Lord. And may it change how we live. Give us the strength to keep following you this week, O Lord. For your glory and not our own, we pray. Amen.